Tanel and Jeremy Tanel. Streaming to you recorded from Seattle, Washington. Here. Welcome to today's podcast. Today we're going to be talking about what it means to be down with brown and all right with white. Um, in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, weekend, um, we thought it'd be a great idea to kind of like bring the conversation to something uh, besides the divide that we have right now in regards to races. I thought maybe we try to change the dialogue a little bit and talk about why it's uh, all right to be down with brown and all right with white. What do you think, Jeremy? So today's podcast is going to be just the two of us. And, yes, um, it is. And in these podcasts, we are going to take a little time in order to dive into some of um, the ideas and the issues that we work to bring out with our guests one-on-one and go a little bit deeper with them. Um, obviously, the two of us is a married couple who have been together for 15 years. 15 years. We will be married for 12 next month. Next month. Um, so just under 15 years. Um, um, obviously, we talk about this stuff a lot. It is a part of our relationship, and it's a part of our marriage, um, and changes constantly. And so the idea behind these conversations is to dive a little bit deeper in those. This concept of down with brown and all right with white came from um, our wedding. Yes, it did. Yes, yes. We were trying to find a theme um, of our wedding. But, you know, back then, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't very versed in... Um, and maybe, maybe not, I shouldn't say I wasn't very versed. Maybe I just didn't pay attention to how um, race could actually divide an entire nation. And, you know, I didn't think about that until I moved, until we moved down here and I started to get into a lot uh, deeper into my social justice work. Yeah, I think back then, um I think for the two of us, it was just uh, it was just a a playful thing. I also don't think that either one of us, maybe you more than me, but I don't think either one of us ex- would have ever thought or expected or planned or hoped or I don't know. It, it maybe it just wasn't even on the radar that someday uh, I would be married to uh, a woman of color, to a woman, right? Of, exactly. Um, you know, Polynesian, um, Filipino, Chinese, Portuguese, Spanish ethnicity. Right. You know, and um, and, uh, you know, I mean, you had talked about <laughs> you had talked about how um, your mother um, almost married oh. a white guy. <laughs> well, didn't well, marry him. Dated she, him. she did. She said she did like this. Uh, she liked this white guy. But, you know, I mean, growing up in Hawaii, though, I never knew anything about racism. Um, I thought. At one point, that nationality and ethnicity was synonymous. Sure. And when people would ask me what my nationality was, I would list my ethnicity. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I and I find that uh, you know, uh, as a person of European descent, having grown up, um, you know, in predominantly uh, white communities, um, and when I say that word, I don't just mean the color of people's skin. I mean the community themselves um, were cloaked in in a sense of whiteness, um, which we can go into more in just a bit. Um, I would say that I would do the opposite. Right. Like when people said, oh, you know, well, actually, you're rarely asked, um, you know, what's your ethnicity? But sometimes you are. And and um, um, I would list, you know. Well, American, right. You know, like, well, I'm an American, but, you know, my my great, 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 great grandfather came from Ireland and. Right. You know, Norway and and um, England and France. And so. Um, in a way, it was it was kind of opposite. Well, and I also I also wanted to say too is that you know um, as we get deeper into this podcast, there's a lot of things that we do talk about, and you know we do talk about the structure of racism and how it affects me and how it affects you and how it affects us as as a unit as a family unit, and so by no way. You know, I want the listeners to even think that because I'm down with right and you're all right, you know, you're down. Well, I'm all right with white and you're down with brown, that there is no way that we also don't struggle with how racism and prejudice and biases affect us. Yeah. And they affect us differently. Oh, absolutely. And that's part of the struggle. Absolutely. But hey, you know, being that we're talking about being down with brown, all right, with white, and I know that we're going to probably go in, go deeper into how racist tactics and practices affect each of us. I think I think I want to open up with a um, poem in honor of Martin Luther King's um, weekend. So you okay with that, babe? Oh, excellent. Who who wrote this poem? <laughs> Well, I, I yeah, I am. Um, I, I I wrote it, and I wrote it really, really fast. <laughs> oh, this poem was was uh, written by Dr. Jerry Balarosa Tanel. Fascinating. Yeah, I wrote it really fast because you know um, tomorrow, being that we're celebrating and honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I'm going to be uh, facilitating a, a healing circle um, over at Delridge uh, neighborhood tomorrow and so you know i i'm working with uh nafasi farrow so shout out to nafasi farrow and i'm going to be facilitating the uh healing circles with sophie thorold so shout out to sophie she's actually uh our youth ambassador and um her and i are going to be uh, facilitating the uh uh, healing circles, watching healing uh, justice tomorrow. And so I had to write this poem, or I didn't have to write this poem. I was just drawn and, you know, to write this poem. So here we go. We remember MLK honored on this special day. He had a dream that we would stand united together on this land, that we would strive to find a way to live in harmony and peace today. He fought for us in hope we'll see the beauty in equality. He taught us that right will overcome wrong, 
that hope will turn the weak to strong and showing love instead of hate is what would make America great. His message meant to set us free to live with love and liberty. So on this day, let freedom ring, let freedom ring, let freedom ring, as we remember Dr. Martin Luther King. Good poem. Ooh. I get all, I'm such a, um, I think I'm a sappy person. I cry for everything. I don't think that makes you sappy. <laughs> it doesn't? No. <laughs> I mean, I could say something sexist. I, I wouldn't intend it to be sexist, but it would come out sexist. And, you know, right. we'd, get, we'd definitely like, get comments like, you know, he's a sexist asshole. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's like, um, <laughs> I know you, babe. You know, and there's, there's a lot of things that... That was the chair. <laughs> there's a lot of things that, that we say and... You know, and and what what we uh, what we think sometimes we think out sometimes we think out loud, right? <laughs> That's one of the things is that we think out loud. And there's groups of individuals that would think that it's sexist. There's another group of individuals that would probably think that it's freaking hilarious. And the thing about it is that there's no right or wrong in either side. I think it is just a matter of perspective. Sure. There could be um, certain extreme views in either side, and those extreme views can be harmful and hurtful. Yes. However. Yes. Let's, I mean, I guess we could continue with this, you know. Um, um, also, there's individuals on that scale that are going to be harmed and hurt closer to one end or the other right, end right right so so you've got a spectrum moving both ways right exactly so you got somebody who can be very moderate and the statement could be a moderate statement but slightly unmoderate from their view right. and they can be hurt by it you it can could. have a statement it that could. is extraordinarily well, unmoderate well and before before all of that what i was going to say is that you know let's just not do no harm you know do no harm to to one another and um sometimes you're going to harm and not intend and to that's harm where and when you do and when you do you you need to i guess have a conversation about it oh absolutely i think that's where the uh where uh, resilience comes in as well too right is that we're not we don't we don't live in a world of you know um kumbaya where everybody is just walking around being peaceful with one another and holding hands. We don't live in a world like that. We live in a world where people will have their biases and their prejudice and all of those things. And if we're not able to just kind of have a conversation about it, a dialogue about it, it's okay that we have our own perspectives. It's okay that we see things differently. Let's just agree to disagree but not harm one another, not not bring, you know, to bolster the hate and perpetuate the divide, but to possibly expand the dialogue, the dialogue of aloha. Uh, yes. And I would also say that um, that that's an that is. It's very easy to talk about. And I know you both, you and I are both aware of this. It's very easy for us to talk about these kind of concepts on a podcast in front of you know, in our, in our office, studio, living room, 
<laughs> thing. But uh, but to perform them, to um, you know, to actually do them, that's that. Sometimes that work is really, really hard. Yeah, conflict is very, very difficult to navigate. Absolutely. Let's talk about that. Okay. Let's talk about that. Um, you know, like some of the challenges that that we've gone through being a um, what is it? Is it a multiracial? Is it an interracial couple? Multiracial. I, I think it depends on. Yeah, I think multiracial probably better describes it. But I think that right. people would use all all of those. Um, I'm brown. You're white. <laughs> which is just our our you know our phenotype. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and people will look at it as I'm the colonized. You're the colonizer. And that would be. Um, that would be both accurate and inaccurate. Right, exactly. So there's, there's going to be those perspectives. But I think one of the uh, biggest struggles that, you know, you and I went through, which was just recently, was when I, um, when I uh, finished undoing institutional racism. Yeah, by recently, you mean like, well, I would say that, first I would say, you know, like it didn't happen, you know, a couple of weeks ago, like this is, this is a couple of years in, in the, in the making. And I would say when you went through undoing institutional racism, it opened a door in our marriage that, um, um, you know, was very difficult to navigate. Right. Right. Because suddenly, you know, learning, well, first I had to learn unlearn some of the things on you know on what it meant to coexist in you know i had to i guess i had to unlearn all of the woo woo things that i read about and like. you know i mean everything about co-creating cohesive communities and you know um uh Institute of Heart Math, you know, going back to your heart and, you know, um, loving one another and all of these things. Right. I mean, it's it's a it's the woo woo part of me, but it is still part of who I am. But what I had to do is not necessarily unlearn those things, but I needed to kind of put them on the side and learn what has happened to um the people of Hawaii I had to learn about all of you can't how am I trying to say it so I had to learn you about to what learn it the meant trauma. to the, yes yes I had to learn about the trauma yeah. because if I'm coming from a place of healing first without understanding the trauma that has happened what are you healing what am I healing and so with undoing institutional racism, I actually had to, I felt like I had to decolonize myself from one part of my understanding of the world and dip into those dark spaces that we don't talk about. And that's one of the things that really got me is like, wait a minute, here I am in a PhD program and all through high school, all through um, in, you know, I'm getting my undergrad, we didn't talk a lot about 
the things that we talked about at UIR. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the structures and the making of of um, of racism. Yeah, and how it was how it was created. I didn't learn about any of that. And then I started to also realize that the people that was teaching me in the classes that I was going to were people of European descent that didn't even look like me. Yeah. And so then there was another part of me that I had to question, wait a minute, hold on here. Why is it that in my head, when I look at a person of European descent, I look at them as being um, above me, that's, that's being superior to me. Mm-hmm. Like a teacher, or yes, a, a professor, or, or a, a boss. boss, or whatever it is. Where then I started to realize that wait, I, the way I navigate myself in this world is um, internalized oppression. I internalized this to where I believed and I felt that I was below everybody else yeah that i would show up and i would automatically give power to anyone of european descent interestingly enough that um that theme you know um was i wouldn't call it a dominant thought in your mind at all but but whenever it came to kind of grappling with your own self-esteem um that's a theme that would that would pop up right that that you were below. Oh, absolutely. And so I think that's the, uh, it's also, I think a driver behind, um, behind your journey of education, you know, in your adult life. Right. And that's the, uh, the purpose of the, uh, people's Institute Northwest. So shout out to the people's Institute is that, you know, I think with UIR, they really, um, they, they, they shine the light on the, on part of, society that even people that look like me with darker melanin realize on how we have been placed into this this um our positionality in the structure that was built to perpetuate racism where we were placed deliberately and i think that's why i think what really got to me was when I was done with it and as I was processing it, I woke up one morning and I looked over at you and I'm like, holy shit, I'm sleeping with the enemy. Right. I am sleeping with the enemy. And that's when I started to really... Become um, a real bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you would have to live with for a while. <laughs> it was tough. It, it was, was tough. tough because, man, I, I called you racist and I was like... Whitey. Right. Whitey came out of your mouth a couple of times. I'm like, what the fuck? Check your bias, your privilege. I, you know, I called you like a, you misogynistic pig. I, oh, I still get called that. <laughs> <laughs> that one pops up sometimes when you're, when you're really angry. I'm like, and I'm like, come on, it's old. We both know I'm a misogynistic pig. Yes. So tell us about that. Tell us about. Well, I, I, I'll dive into that. But what I find interesting is, is so you, you went through this undoing institutional racism program. And as a person of color, you came home and you, um, you, you began to process uh, this through the, through the lens of, oh, wait a minute, I'm the colonized. 
Oh, this right. is what it is to be colonized. Mm-hmm. Oh, hold on. Um, and uh, um, and and that was that was a tough struggle. What do you think? Uh, what do you think it did for the individuals of European descent in your class? How do you think they walked away? You know, um, the only thing I can do is I can assume you know what they were feeling because everybody has a different experience and so for me to to talk about what their experiences are is just based off of my perspective and you know because i haven't had the opportunity to speak with these individuals so you know what i'm about to share is not truth but what i perceived Mm -hmm. and what i perceived as i reflect back Right. As I as I reflect back to the two, three days that we were together, um, I think there was a lot of a lot of uh, I, I think I believe that a lot of the people of European descent probably felt some shame. Mm-hmm. They probably felt some guilt. Um, they probably felt blamed for a lot of things Mm -hmm. because you know i did hear um individuals say well that was my ancestors that's not me i'm not that way i'm not this i'm not that and so you know um i can tell that they felt blamed there was a definitely definitely a lot of tears Mm -hmm. definitely a lot of you have to be going through uir you gotta be ready You've got to be ready to dig in and to unpack things to the point where you're going to walk out of there feeling pretty raw. Yeah. But it's what you do with the healing afterwards. Right. Yeah. And so um, reflecting back on that time and, you know, seeing some of and, and it wasn't just people of European descent who identified as European descent. It wasn't just it just it wasn't just those individuals. What it also was, people who um, could be could be mixed race, yeah, right. And so, if there is someone there that is identifies as native, but their phenotype is European, they would be questioned as well too. As if, as if I found myself questioning the mixed race people like okay so where does your where does your allyship where's, lie? where's your loyalty where's your loyalty is it to is it to the white part of you right. is it to the brown part of you where is it right yeah and and i felt myself feeling this way mm-hmm. and then <laughs> and then it hit me where i looked back and i i looked at lyric i remember that right i looked at lyric and I was thinking, oh no, oh no, how can I continue this mentality? Oh my gosh, I'm getting teary. We have tissue. I know. Go on. (laughs) Okay. This really gets me. But when I looked at Lyric, basically what I was building for him at that point where i was like that's it i'm gonna stand up 
I'm going to stand up for my people and and white people are bad and and they're the colonizers and it's because of them that this is where I am and it's because of them that this is what I have to do and and all of these things and I had a list. I'm sure you remember the list. I had a list of why I was going to um not not even listen to people of European descent. And then when I looked at lyric it made me realize that if I continued down that road, what I would be creating is a world where he would have to deny part of himself mm-hmm. in order to be in partnership and in agreement with his grandmother. Right. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't do that. And so I had to quickly shift my paradigm and ask myself the end result first and work backwards mm. what is it that i want to see for this child when it's my time to go what legacy do i want to leave do i want to give him the knowledge those those pebbles of wisdom of loving people loving himself first so that way he can love others or am i going to ask him you know what you put on you put away that part of yourself which also means that he would put away his grandmother and how is he going to honor his ancestors if i'm talking about honoring ancestors if i'm building a world where my grandson would have to put that part away yeah and this is um this is where we began to make a turn it was was a long slow turn (laughs) but we began to make a turn so prior to this uh you know there was a lot of conflict um and although i was um certainly willing to go down this road with you and um you know have this conversation with you i also knew that um I also knew that that uh, it appeared to me that the way this information had been delivered to you um, lacked lacked some um, forethought and planning on the consequences of what this information would do to you. And I think that this is my criticism um, with undoing institutional racism. It uh, it outlines the problem and it and it and it forces accountability. And but what it doesn't appear uh, to do because i may not have been there for those three days but you're not the only person we know who's gone through um undoing institutional racism and um and i was also with you in many respects for those three days and so uh and i asked you about these things um and th- the program appears to um lack in follow-up and guidance as far as how this information is going to be received and what effect is it going to have on the individuals, on the groups and communities in which they participate. And, um, you know, I mean, we're in a bit of a unique position. This is your work. You do UI, you know, UIR work, you know, you do um, EDI work. And, and, um, um, and so these conversations I guess we had the tools to navigate them to some degree, right? Or at least we knew how right, to make the tools right. to navigate which, them. Which, you know, which I think, which I think, um, you know, we have, there, there's, there's so many, right? There, there are tons of 
social issues that we have to deal with. And every single one of us, or I feel that every one of the uh, organizations that I work with, we all have a particular part to the bigger whole. Because I don't think we can all do it. I don't think we can all do it. Because, you know, it's like for me, I can speak about my experiences on what I endured and how I process things in UIR. I can talk about I can talk about that, but I can't. I I don't have the um, maybe I I mean I have the tools, but the way that the way that they the way that UIR the way the People's Institute did this was deliberate, and I believe that it was deliberate because I felt that it was deliberate. And not deliberate in a way where um, it, they were doing it to harm someone. I think they they did it to the point where if you want to know about what racism is and how it actually plays and continues to play in our society, this is the way it's going to be. Like they don't mess around, right? And that's one of the things that I appreciated after my reflection. Yeah. After my reflection, I realized that, okay, I am calling myself someone who um, perpetuates and wants to build a platform on social justice. Well, I needed to understand that. And so that's the part, that's the part that they do. And I think... Um, and I do the part, and there's a lot of people that I know that do the healing part of it. They do the healing part of it. And I think what is so powerful is that these organizations would be able to collaborate and work together to set the trajectory for social and global change. If they work together, yes. If they work together. Yeah. And I think that you know that gets to my point, is that they need to work together. Because, oh, yes. Because... Yes. Um, uh, the process isn't over when you leave undoing institutional racism. In fact, the process has just begun. Mm -hmm. And um, and that process probably means um, both internal and external conflict. Right, right. And so, um, so we began to round that corner when, when you came to this epiphany regarding our grandson, Lyric, and, um, and the reality of his mixed ethnicity. And, um, and, uh, but that, you know, that conflict, um, continued for several months more. In fact, it was, um, not to jump ahead, but it was, um, you were at your, um, intensive. spring or summer intensive. Yes. It was your spring intensive. Yep. And, um, uh, we hadn't talked much, actually, nope. probably for several weeks. Yeah. And um, I really, you know, you were down there for a week and I wasn't really interested in talking to you. And I think I was here at home and I think either you or I called. I think you probably called. And um, and um, I said, I, I basically what I said was. um. Something along the lines of, if we're gonna if we're gonna see our way through this, then we need to 
um, we need to find a place of agreement. Yeah. Yep. And um, you had already been working on. You had already been working on um, this um, this concept of uh, being the colonized and the colonizer, yes. the murdered and the murderer. Yes, and that's it was at that intensive that I wrote the poem, the poem about being the colonizer and the colonized, and it hit me. That epiphany hit me at dinner. We were having dinner, and all of these things was just playing on in my head, and it hit me. And I grabbed a napkin, and I started writing. And I didn't stop writing. And then the next, the next morning, the next morning, I went up on the hillside overlooking the Pacific Ocean, and I saw a wolf. Yep. Well, it was a, <laughs> no, it wasn't no, no, no. Not a, a fox. A fox. It was a wolf. A fox. Hello. <laughs> Hello. It was a fox. <laughs> yeah, it was a fox. It was a red fox. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I remember being so excited about that because I stayed up there for a while. I watched the sunrise and everything. And then I saw a whale and I saw dolphins. And then, the, you know, and then I felt for the first time in a very, very long time, the interconnectedness with everything around me, everything around me. <laughs> Babe. You're going to have to get another <laughs> tissue. I think you used that one up. Yes. See, it's like, oh, my gosh, I am such a crybaby. Um, and then I remember going back and, and uh, going back to my hotel, and I was uh, roommates with Megan, and I jumped on the bed. Yeah, and from what I understand, freaked her out. I jumped on the bed. And, you know, Megan, Reverend, Reverend Doctor, Megan Rohr, shout out. <laughs> she is so amazing. And she woke up, and I think it was that time where she looked at me and she looked tired. And I was like, Megan, this is what happened. And I kept telling her, and I took tons of pictures of, of everything. I didn't get the picture of the fox. But, you know, I was like telling her about all of these things. And she's like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean? You know, and she goes, your ancestors were around you all night singing and playing <laughs> the drums. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she's like, yes, yes, they were here all night. And so that's why she was so tired. But um, also the last time I think she roomed with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Maybe that's why she kept saying that she couldn't make the intensive. <laughs> right. I'll just sleep in my own bed. <laughs> well, so I wrote their blood runs through my veins. Their okay. blood runs through my veins. And um, I wrote this pretty much in one sitting. <laughs> uh, the blood. Can I read it? Of course. Okay. The blood of my ancestors runs through my veins. A possible fisherman of the Philippines. A Spanish flamenco dancer, a doctor of Chinese medicine, a Portuguese corandero, a healer, a Polynesian warrior. I don't know. Buried secrets of treasures never to be found. Deciding factors of my identity limited to the roundness of my eyes, the hue of my skin. What are you? Who am I? 
Do I choose to narrow myself down to a single identity, expunging the rest of the bloodline that flows within my veins? I cannot. I must not. To embrace myself, I must embrace them all. They are me and I am them. They were the colonized and they were the colonizers. Therefore, genealogically, I am also the oppressor as well as the oppressed. The blood of both runs through my veins. Does this mean that I also may be the murderer and the murdered? I am embodied by their genetic ghosts. Their tales tether my soul in the presence. I am a healer and I am a warrior. I am them and they are me. I carry their hope for tomorrow. I am the destroyer. I am the bridge. I am the cultural healing. And that's when, um, that is when you and I um, found common ground. Right. We had been talking about it. We had been circling around right. it. I had discussed with you on many occasions how um, how you can't ignore the Spanish in you. You can't ignore the Portuguese in you. Right. Consequently, I can't ignore the Celtic in me or the Gallic in me. Um, you know, these parts of my ancestry might have experienced colonization 2,000 years before the people of the Philippines did, or the Native Americans did, or, um, or those that were, um, you know, on the continent of Africa, or India, or, you know, right, wherever right. modern colonization is touched. Right, exactly. But that modern colonization has roots that go way, way, way deeper. Right. And, um, and the common ground became um, the reality that both of us um, possess the blood of the colonized and the colonizer. Right. And I think, you know, it was during that time, too, when I came back, right, we put on some Marvin Gaye, some Teddy P. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> what are you implying? <laughs> but it was then, um, I think we, we, we saw the... Um, we saw the pain. Mm -hmm. Look, now I'm going to start crying again. <laughs> but I think we saw the pain in each other, which once we knew what it felt like, when we knew what the pain felt like, and it's like, gosh, I don't like this. I don't like feeling this way. Why would I want anybody else to feel this way? And so that's where. I stepped into empathy and grace. And it wasn't an easy place to step in because there was part of me that was still conflicted by the harm that was done. But then I also knew that if I wanted to heal and I wanted you to heal, I needed to step into grace. Yeah. So grace is not an easy place to go. <laughs> no, grace is, uh, grace is like... Um is like surfing a wave, you know, surfing a choppy wave, you know. Oh, like yes. It's, it's, it's difficult to balance. Right. And I think that is where I can say that I'm all right with white. Yeah. And you can say. I'm down with brown. 
Yeah. Well, I think we're going to conclude the conversation here. <laughs> it was a yes. Yes. I think this is a good place to, um, I think we gave, I, I hope, I hope that we gave um, information. And I hope that through our stories and our experiences that others would find the lessons in them just as how we found the lessons in our experiences and our stories but by you know i mean and we did that by stepping back into our hearts you know the place where we can find compassion and empathy and grace so that way we can move towards the acceptance of difference and the adaptability to multiple stories and i also that this uh this is a journey it is a continuous journey. it's a and lifetime it's a lifetime journey yes it you know is. like everything else is uh, you right. know it's just recognizing that oh well this is a journey that i guess i'm on and um and realizing that um you know that process is uh is gonna it's going to take new tools in order Absolutely. to navigate. Absolutely. Well, um, we will have an amazing guest on our next podcast as we continue the conversation on what it means to be down with brown and all right with white. So we hope for everyone to uh, like our podcast, uh, follow us. Right now we're just on SoundCloud, but we will be moving to different platforms soon. And um, if uh, any of my friends out there receive a uh, request to like Plowline on Facebook, um, please like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. And aloha. This has been the Plowline Podcast, Cultivating Change. <laughs>